I came across a TED Talk this week. It's not a new one. It's an old one, but I just uh, became aware of it by a lady whose name I'm certain to mispronounce. Um, it is uh, Chai Memanda Adichie, and um, she is an author from Nigeria who does this incredible um, conversation about the danger of a single story. I encourage you in your free time today, later on, maybe to look for this TED Talk. I think it's very good, uh, called The Danger of a Single Story. But I want to play just a little bit of um, that conversation for you so you get a sense of what she means by a single story. Will you play that? Years later, I thought about this when I left Nigeria to go to university in the United States. I was 19. My American roommate was shocked by me. She asked where I had learned to speak English so well and was confused when I said that Nigeria happened to have English as its official language. She asked if she could listen to what she called my tribal music and was consequently very disappointed when I produced my tape of Mariah Carey. <laughs> she assumed that I did not know how to use a stove. What struck me was this. She had felt sorry for me even before she saw me. Her default position toward me as an African was a kind of patronizing, well-meaning pity. My roommate had a single story of Africa, a single story of catastrophe. In this single story, there was no possibility of Africans being similar to her in any way, no possibility of feelings more complex than pity, no possibility of a connection as human equals. It's a really powerful idea for me, the danger of a single story. Uh, I, I think single stories are what help us to keep other people at a distance. And we're going to talk more about our single stories in a few minutes, but I want to point out first that when Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesians, he's addressing the single story problem that is the biggest problem for the early church. Maybe you remember, right, the great challenge for the early church is, do you have to become a Jew to be a Christian, right? Uh, and, and the um, defining difference, right, the one story that our spiritual ancestors tell about the Gentiles, remember Gentile just means anybody that's not Jewish, uh, the, the single story our ancestors tell is they don't have the law, right? They don't have the law. They, they can't be in relationship with God. They can't know God because they don't have the law. Uh, and, and, and that law um, becomes this one story that defines everybody else as other. And so it is fascinating to me what God does. He removes the law in Jesus Christ. So uh, listen again um, from uh, the... 15th chapter of the 15th verse of the second chapter he has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two thus making peace now now this is important for a couple of reasons number one um, he abolishes the law not because the law is bad right please understand, Paul is not saying, hey, all that stuff that Moses gave the people from Mount Sinai that God gave him, that wasn't a mistake. The problem is the law has moved from its original purpose. God gave us the law so that we would be a people who could live in relationship with him and be an example to the world to show them the benefits of having the presence of God with us. And instead of being a tool that was an example to the world, 
It had become a way of excluding the world from the presence of God. And so God says it's got to go. It's got to go. That one story uh, has got to go. Uh, and then here's a something that's super important. He changes the story through the cross, right? And might, verse 16, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. Uh, so here's what I want to focus on today. Uh, I, I think um, that we have an incomplete understanding of what salvation means. Okay, we're going big today. Uh, I think we have an incomplete understanding of what salvation means, an incomplete understanding of what Jesus did on the cross. I'm not saying what we believe is wrong, right? I'm just saying that too often we don't tell the whole story. So um, I think Ephesians chapter 2 tells the whole story. And, and I want you to notice, we're going to come back to single stories in a minute. Uh, I want you to notice something. Uh, if you've got your Bible still open, and notice um, from verses 1 through 10, we have a description of how God reconciles us to Himself, right? It's about our salvation um, from our sins, um, the, the things we've done wrong that have broken our covenant with God. It's, a, it's an up and down sort of relationship, right? As the cross runs up and down. Uh, so our first component of salvation is that God saves us from our sins. But then in verses 11 through 22, we have uh, a, 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 an east and west component of our salvation, right? And we have this idea that in the cross, God not only reconciles us to himself, but to each other. And that salvation is not just me being made right with God. It is also me being made right with you. Uh, and, and, and the vertical and the horizontal components of the cross are absolutely essential if we want to fully understand what Jesus has done for us. I want you to notice one other thing about this chapter. Um, both of these two sections, the, the sort of the horizontal section and the vertical section, wait, no, vertical and the horizontal section, uh, they, they begin with defining the problem, okay? So the problem in our, in our vertical relationship between us and God is that we were dead through the trespasses and sins in which we once lived following the course of this world, right? And verses one through three define our sin problem. And then um, verses four through 10 define how God solves that problem. And then verses 11 and 12, we get the other problem. We get the horizontal problem problem, right? So then remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision, but those who are called the circumcision, remember that you were at that time without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, so Paul says we have two problems, not one problem. It's not just that my relationship with God is broken. It's that my relationship with you is broken, right? That, that people are divided from one another, which was not God's original plan. Uh, salvation isn't just a me thing. It's a we thing. It's about God making one new humanity, a new we, that overcomes all the barriers that humans erect to keep each other away. And this is all done through the cross through the cross. So I read verses 11 and 12 as Paul defines the problem in his day in the church about how people are divided from each other. And I wonder how he might look at our world and say, um, what divisions need to be overcome here? And I, I can think of a ton of those, right? But, but I think it might be helpful to use 
Miss Adichie's language of single stories. And because, I, again, I, I think single stories are part of uh, maybe the, one of the most powerful ways that we build up those divisions. So what are some single stories that we tell from other people? I don't have to be with the poor people. I don't have to be with the addicts. I don't have to be with rural America or urban America or all those different groups because I already know who they are and I can write them off. I know the one story about them I need. Chimanda Adichie, again, um, says, um, how you create a single story, you show people as one thing, just one thing, over and over again, and that is what they become. Now, I, I want to make a note here. Um, it is um, not bad to be different. Um, I, I think absolutely Christ calls us to overcome our divisions that we are saved um, for a covenant with each other and for God. Um, but being divided is bad. Being different isn't. So I come to Revelation 7, 9, and we get this beautiful language. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. Right? That this is, I, I'm not suggesting that um, the, the horizontal salvation is that we all end up looking and acting and sounding the same but rather that in our beautiful differences, God overcomes our division and makes one new humanity, one new beautiful creation, different but not divided. And I got to say, this has not always been the strength of the church. We've been pretty good about that vertical relationship, right? We're pretty good about teaching, I think, of our need for salvation from our sins and our need for reconciliation with God. Um, but we don't always do a great job of talking about our need of restoration with each other and our invitation into God's covenant community. So I believe the cross adds a new story it adds a new story uh, to every story of every person. Uh, and, and this is what Paul says. He says that Jesus is our peace. We light the candle of peace today. Uh, Jesus is our peace. He says he came to preach peace to those far off and peace to those who are near. And it's, and it's the cross that makes that peace possible. Well, We've we got to talk about peace for a second. Um, Peace doesn't mean the absence of conflict, right? If you're at Thanksgiving dinner and everybody knows you can't talk to Uncle So-and-so about politics because it'll ruin the meal, that's not peace, right? That's just preserving the status quo. Um, peace, when Paul speaks of it, is this Jewish Christian idea of shalom, right? Of, of everything being ordered rightly, of wholeness and health and, and, and uh, everything coming together the way God wanted it to be in the beginning. And Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our shalom. He's the one who can make us whole. He's the one who can make us into one new whole humanity. Um, there's a great line by Daniel Strickland. She says, uh, Jesus isn't for you and Jesus isn't against you. Jesus is for the new you. I really like that. And, and I would say Jesus isn't for us, and Jesus isn't against us. Jesus is for the new us, the new community which he's called us to become. Uh, 
Okay, so I'm going to show a video in a minute. Uh, I showed this with our life class a few months ago, and I got to do a little bit of explanation. So this is a comedian that I, I like on the internet named Ryan George, and this particular video is um, <laughs> it's called the, the Human Sacrifice Call Center. Okay, I know that sounds weird. Stay with me. Uh, in a nutshell, um, it's set in a, a fictional future where um, a cult has taken over like the whole world, okay? Like almost everybody has joined this cult. They are following Zordon. Zordon, if you remember, was one of the figures from the Power Rangers TV show when we were kids. And um, in this sort of fictional cult, um, they, are, they are making some pretty big changes. And so as he's sort of cold calling people, um, he calls somebody who is you know, for the last week or so, been somewhat isolated. Maybe he was on quarantine, I don't know. And all this has happened rather rapidly, okay? So we're going to pick up as uh, this, this um, cult person is calling someone to let them know that the world has changed in the last few days. See, we decided that money's not a thing we believe in anymore, so, so that's all done. What? Yeah, money's just paper now, we decided. Okay, but no, I don't, you can't just start believing in some things and stop believing in other things. That's not how it is, that's not anything. Sure, if you have enough people on board and they all decide that money's not worth anything anymore, then it's not worth anything anymore. It was pretty much just imaginary to begin with. No, Zordon is imaginary. Money is very, very real. It's real paper, yeah, for sure, but you can't use it to buy anything if no one thinks it's worth anything. That is how it works. So I'm just stuck with a bunch of worthless paper. Well, no, I wouldn't say it's worthless. It could have a lot of value to you personally if you like having tiny pictures of old dead politicians with numbers next to their heads. I don't? So then, yeah, no, okay, yeah, no, it is worthless. Wow. This isn't just like a North America thing. Like, I can't move. Oh, well, no, no, we actually stopped believing in that too. You stopped believing in North America? Yeah, just countries in general. It turns out a lot of stuff we thought was important just kind of stops existing when a lot of people stop believing it exists. Well, you can't tell me that Canada doesn't exist. I'm in Canada right now. Do me a favor, put Canada on the phone? What? I can't put Canada on the phone. Canada's like a cons- Oh my- So that's done. Okay, this is a lot. When did this happen? Whoa, 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 what day are we? Thursday? So Thursdays are still a thing? Okay. Uh, so I, I love this idea, right, that so many of the things we think are absolutely essential are really things that exist because we believe they exist. And um, I, I think a lot of the, the stories that we tell that divide other people, um, may be stories like that, right? Uh, I've just been reading a book called Under Our Skin by Benjamin Watson, and uh, in it he talks about the challenge of race in, in the world, and in America particularly, and, and he talks about the scientific background for race. It was a really interesting conversation. He said, um, in general, from a scientific perspective, race doesn't exist. Right? So your DNA is 99.9% identical to the DNA of every human on earth. So I, he's not saying that you know, there's a different skin color or you know, maybe different facial features, but his point is that the differences between those, the color of your skin, for example, is no more or less significant than the difference between you, know, you being taller or shorter than somebody else, right? They don't make you a different species or uh, you're pretty much on a scientific level exactly the same. But we've imagined those differences to be very significant. Now, now please don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that there's not a real racism in our world or a real history of racism in our world any more than I'm suggesting that countries don't exist. Uh, I'm simply saying that perhaps Christ calls us to imagine something else.
Perhaps Christ calls us to a shalom, a peace, uh, a horizontal, deep, and wide salvation of a new humanity, where some of the things that we have allowed to divide us simply stop dividing us because we refuse to continue to believe in them. By the way, this isn't just about people groups. I think this is about individuals as well. Uh, and this is um, uh, maybe how this gets particularly personal. Um, there is a, a verse in 1 John chapter 4 um, that really challenges me where John says um, that if you say you love God, but don't love your brothers and sisters, you are a liar. Uh, and, and this is a challenge for me because it's really easy to love God who's done all these amazing things for me. And it's sometimes very difficult to love other people, right? Um, who can be very challenging. Um, I, I wonder if you know someone who claims to love God but seems to be unable to love other people. You met somebody like that, right? That, oh, yeah, I love God, but I can't get along with anybody. Um, I wonder if there are relationships in your life uh, where you have been feuding for years because you're too proud to reach out, because um, something happened to divide you and you are unwilling to step across that threshold and reunite. See, I think the, the single story thing happens with people as well. I've shared with you before that um, when I was a freshman in college and was still making, you know, not great well, I'm still making not great choices, but I was making some bad choices. Then um, I, I took an introduction to psychology class, which I attended infrequently. Um, but one of the things I took away from um, that class was what my professor called the distinction between circumstances and character. And in a nutshell, it's this idea. When I am driving down the road and I get a phone call and I know someone important is going to call me today uh, and I know I've got to take that call, I will you know, maybe don't tell anybody, but I will sometimes try to grab the phone while I'm driving and answer it, right? And I can imagine a scenario where I drop the phone, this is just hypothetical, between uh, the console and the chair in which I'm sitting, and then I try to reach down and grab the phone while it's ringing, and I'm panicking, and I'm driving, and I maybe just hypothetically drift into a lane next to me uh, where some innocent person honks at me, and I, and I immediately drift back out, right? And when I think about myself later in the day, I think, well, you know, there was a lot going on in that moment. If you are the person in that car that I almost crash into, what you're thinking is, that guy's a terrible driver. Okay? Now, you, I might be a terrible driver, but stay with me on the illustration here. Um, you have one story about me, right? You have one story about me. I think this is a challenge for us in every relationship. It is so easy for us uh, to get one story about someone in our life and tell it again and again and make no room for the other stories, maybe the greatest story, uh, the story of the cross that Christ wants to tell over them and in them. So Jesus says, when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and sister, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, it is very difficult to make this relationship right when these relationships are wrong. It's got to be deep and it's got to be wide. 
I think our world makes this particularly challenging today. I know that there are, are ways that we can isolate ourselves from other people that didn't exist for Paul. Social media and the internet and 24-7 news cycles. And we can wrap ourselves in familiarity and inoculate ourselves against the image of God and the other. But Jesus invites us to do something different, right? Jesus invites us uh, to see the story of God in the lives of those around us that we might find shalom. I, I came across a really interesting story this week um, about a, a German, I think it was a website news company that started something called Germany Talks. And honestly, uh, as they described their story, they were just trying to make money. And so they said, hey, what's an interesting marketing tool we can do? They said, what if we get um, a, like a tender for people with differing political opinions? Tender like that app where you can date uh, you, I don't, I've never used it, but I think you swipe. I don't know. Anyway, um, Krista, I really I haven't. Okay. Um, so uh, it's, a, it's a tender for political uh, disagreements. And basically they said, hey, we'll make a Google form. We'll ask some questions. We'll pair up people who disagree and invite them to get together and talk. And they thought they might get 100 people in Germany that agreed to sit down and have these conversations. So they, they launched this thing on their website, put a minimum amount of effort into it. Instead of 100 people, they got 12,000. They got 12,000 people in Germany who have widely different political opinions that wanted to get together and talk about those things. And so they had to create an algorithm to pair people up, and it created some ironic problems. Um, so they just tried to pair up people who disagreed a lot and lived close together. So like one college professor got paired up with one of his students. Um, one daughter-in-law got paired up with her father-in-law, right? I'm sure that was awkward. Um, but they had these incredible conversations uh, one of those um, was a staff member on this website who said um, that he got paired up with a young guy um, with a beanie and a beard like a normal hipster, and they disagreed on everything but had this wonderful conversation. He said he went back later and he Googled the person he met. Uh, this is in Germany, remember, and he found out this person had been uh, arrested for neo-Nazi behavior. And he called him and he said, hey, we just had like three hours of conversation over coffee about politics. You never mentioned that. And, and, and this guy said, yeah, that's part of my past. And I'd like to move on from it, so I don't bring it up a lot. And the staff member of this website that dreamed up this idea said, wow, I never imagined that I could have a connection with somebody who ever in their life um, had that ideology. I think that is amazing, and it's not even Christ-centric. And I wonder what happens if we take the story and the love and the grace of Jesus and the power of the cross and that desire to be whole with others and go out into the world, I think then we get Isaiah 52. I think we get people who say, here come the Christians and how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Okay, uh, I gotta say one last thing. As I close here, I, I want to make sure I'm really clear about what we're talking about because understanding our goal here is critical. Paul, nor I, Paul is not inviting us into some happy clappy, pretend we all agree, I don't see color, can't we all get along fantasy where every philosophy is equally right and unicorns are real, okay? That's not what we're going for. Instead, he's inviting us to recognize that the work of Christ on the cross reconciles us vertically to God and horizontally to each other, that in the cross, God creates a new humanity in Christ. 
This week, uh, I was um, talking with Joanne Lipinski, and she told me a story I'd heard once before. Uh, she said that she had been, many years ago, on a mission trip in India. And she was working with these really little school children and talking to them about um, just, you know, just basic education. And so one day they were working on colors, and she was trying to teach them colors, right? And uh, in this place where they were, they didn't have a lot of resources, and so she couldn't pull out little paint chips and say, this is what the color is. And so she was trying to teach them white, and she couldn't get, the, get them to get the word white. And so finally she said, me, me, what color am I? And she said this little Indian girl uh, tilted her head sideways and gave her a smile and said, Rose. Like a little child, God says, I can't even see the divisions you imagine. Just like I can't even see your sin in Christ. I see you each unique and beautiful. I see um, each of you as a rose, and I want you to see one another as I see you. It is for this reason that I sent my son. Move forward from me to we and enter my kingdom together as one new humanity. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.